Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, councilman in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, and host of this podcast, as you know, if you've listened before. And if you've listened before, you know I've talked with people from across the country who have run for or are in office and have a perspective on it from Maine to Hawaii, Alaska to Florida and every state in between, including Washington, D.C., from Senate to uh, school board, and today I'm going back to Oregon for the first for the second time um, for an office I don't know much about, and it's going to be a learning experience for me as well. Uh, board of Trustees, um, and learn about what's going on there. These other offices you can run for because there are 500,000 or so elected offices in this country. All of them are important for our representation, uh, different views, um, accountability to the public. And so my guest today, and hopefully I don't mess up the pronunciation because I did it right the first time, uh, his name is Muhammad Alijuri, and he's nodding that I did it okay. So Muhammad is going to tell, tell us about his experience in Portland, and hopefully you'll be encouraged to run for office too if you're listening. So Muhammad, thanks for taking time to talk today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tony. So it's late May, in, um, and I'm in Pennsylvania you're in Portland. Is it um, like 20 degrees and rainy there? Well, that's the misconception, but it's actually a beautiful sunny day. Some overcast, but it's, uh, it's been a nice week, actually. Uh, we had a lovely day uh, yesterday and the day before that. We had outside events, so I know it's definitely a great May in Oregon. So um, I, I've talked with people at all levels of office, like I said, but the thing I ask everyone, no matter what they've been involved in, is have you always paid attention to politics and government or was there something in mind that kind of sparked you not just to run for office but to put more attention into it i i feel like i've always paid attention to politics because um a lot of immigrant families here in the u.s come from backgrounds where politics is important Mm -hmm. and so politics talk over dinner over tea over lunch is popular although i grew up in oregon i had some of those remnants of that of that culture it was and so i paid attention and it wasn't until high school where I absolutely fell in love with the American government class. Mm-hmm. It was my favorite class of my entire educational experience in high school, middle school. And I excelled in it. I had one of the highest grades in the whole cohort of every year because I just absorbed the whole political system and the process and the, the, synchron- the synchronous ways things, you know, and the checks and balances. And it just all made sense to me. And I just loved it. And put that aside, and I just started focusing on politics as a peripheral, just the news and being aware never really thought about it in terms of me being in office uh, until recently. So, you know, I uh, just did a TikTok about it and I've been getting more involved in TikTok, posting videos or giving ideas about politics and running for office uh, at Tony Heil. So I'm not very creative with my names on things, but um, it reminds me of how I learned about civics in school and a book I got mm-hmm. my kids called House Mouse, Senate Mouse, where like they did they, all of Congress, the, the, the mice in Congress, the, uh, decide to pass a law and they compromise and go through committee. But it feels like the way we learn about civics isn't necessarily the way the government is run with the partisanship and bickering and um, the different realities that people run in. Like, uh, mm-hmm. have you, now that you've been involved, not just being in office, um, have your beliefs or the, what you learned and loved in, the, in class, have they been challenged firsthand? They haven't. They've been challenged in a way uh, as far as um, just the politics of it all. You know, I, I was obsessed with the structure of government mm-hmm. and the way things flow, and then uh, just the, just the steps to become an elected official and and how what that means you 
you represent a, a constituency and basically anybody at any level can be somebody and can be an influential voice for a, a group that's underrepresented or just influential in their community. But now being in the system itself, I, I'm a little cynical on the on the politics of it, the money part of it, the uh, just the the rules of the game, if you will. You have to play, you know, you have to seek endorsements this way. You have to make sure you speak to that person. You have to get that person's endorsement. That stuff sort of clouded my obsession a little bit, but I get it now because it's it's part of the game and it needs to be played appropriately in order to uh, ends justify the means. Once you're in that office, then you can use that platform to uh, fulfill the mission of the constituency or the goals that you had in mind or or, or meet that need that was uh, presented with an open position. Um, but yeah, as far as the structure of government, I think I'm still uh, strongly a firm believer in this democracy and this system, and especially since the last election where we all thought it was going to crumble and then luckily the system sort of did their job and here we are now. And, and I think I'm hoping for more of that. Yeah. So before we got on here, you discussed our backgrounds and how you have family from the Middle East. And actually I do too, um, with my, my mom's side of the family. Um, but one thing I think about with uh, all the people I've talked with is that someone who looks like me, straight white male, average, you know, middle-class, it's easy to kind of, if someone like me wanted to just disregard politics or not care, my life's going to be fine. But if you're in an immigrant family, no matter where you're from, it feels like your life can be inherently political, just whether you want it to or not. Is that your experience and like from an early age? Absolutely. I think and more so recently. And, and actually, and ironically, that's the reason I decided to actually file to run. Mm-hmm. I, I literally submitted the file, the filing paperwork, three or four minutes based on a timestamp after President Trump signed the travel ban. Wow. The, the travel ban, which we called the Muslim tra- Muslim ban, directly impacted my family, um, plus other policies that he implemented that impacted family and friends and colleagues, whether it's healthcare related or immigration related or refugee related. And so I had been politically aware and, acti- and active in civic uh, areas, but it wasn't until the election of President Trump that I felt I need to be part of the solution or the way forward versus the uh, part of the um, pedestrian side or, or the spectator side and just getting angry and following Twitter and doom scrolling. And so I, it started with me being appointed, but I wasn't, I didn't really plan to continue and pursue that until these things happened. And then I was just motivated to go and run. Um, and in fact, my position itself within the Portland Community College Board of Trustees was vacated because the at the time, board chair resigned in protest of the campus becoming sanctuary campus. And so he was against the idea of having a sanctuary college and he resigned and that opened up that vacancy. So it was all culminating into this, you know, meant to be a situation for me where I just stepped in and it was meaningful in that regard, but also meaningful in that I'm now hoping to be part of the solution of the civic uh, or politically related issues in our country or in our region or in our area. And I've been using that platform ever since to to sort of be politically minded and also be a voice uh, for the underrepresented communities I serve. You know, when it comes to that travel ban, one thing that keep that I always keep in mind is that the reason it was struck down is because even though on paper it was a travel ban and it was nondescript, he had campaigned explicitly and this is what I'm going to do. When you, with your background and your family, watch that campaign, you know, how does that affect you and, and the people around you seeing that someone is running and that people are voting for 
really a hateful platform that is not just kind of vaguely after certain people, but really targeted. Yeah, in terms of the the Trump administration, you yeah, mean? Not or? just in the administration, but in his campaigning the year before, because yeah. he was very explicit. This is what I'm going to do. Was. Yeah, I mean, it's 2017 was the election, but the rhetoric was two years prior to that, and it was it was just it started to to whittle at our hopes and and our confidence, especially as it got closer to the fact that he was fairly popular within the party and he may be the the Republican nominee. And and then it started kind of ramping up. And again, we watched it all in awe. And I remember every setting I was in during elections, during elections in November, it was just gasps everywhere. We had meetings at work. We had meetings in our organizations and everyone was coming to, to, to the reality that this is the new reality and we have to sort of figure out a way forward. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just been devastating to our communities, my specific communities, Muslim community, immigrant community, uh, and it, and it's thankfully the pendulum is swinging the other way now for us to correct some of those things. And you know, I'm hoping that you know, I I I voted Democrat. I'm a Democrat. I, I used to be independent, but I've always thought America needs to have these more multiple parties that where the pendulum swings back and forth to sort of balance out the values and the, the different ways that America is what it is. But it, no one including me, wanted to swing completely to the opposite side with, with what happened in the last election. And so I'm hoping that we can correct course, you know, with coming elections. Well, you have a positive story, though, and that is that you were appointed to and ran for office in Portland with this community college, board of trustees. Um, I think most people are surprised that that's an elected office. So um, yeah. what what is, what is it that you are in? You were talking about the sanctuary sure. thing. What, yeah, what did so you get elected Portland Community to? College is, um, it's a post-secondary community college, as you all know. It's the largest higher educational institution in Oregon. We have 75,000 students. So we're larger than Oregon State University, University of Oregon, and Portland State University. And we have multiple campuses across Portland. And I am currently the chair of the board, seven members elected by our uh, our you know our communities, obviously, we are on the ballot. And we each represent a zone within our district. So I represent a zone of uh, zone six, which is about hundred thousand people and my zone is southwest southwest washington county and yamhill county which is conservative county and that was part of my fear is running with my name muhammad on a ballot in those conservative counties was sort of a, a fear for me and mm-hmm. thankfully it worked out okay but that was a way for me to engage with those communities um also i was after i was elected i was informed that i was the first muslim immigrant elected to any oregon office ever and that gave me yet another, uh, I guess, perspective to look into. And, and why Why is it? I was happy at first to hear that. And then I was saddened to realize why am I the only one? Why mm-hmm. am I the first one? Why has it, it taken this long for us to, to grow as a community and to be represented? But thankfully, since then, I've been advocating and supporting others. Now we have three of us mm-hmm. uh, in the county. We have a commissioner with the county, Nafisa Fai, first African Muslim woman. Uh, and then Nadia Hassan is the Beaverton City Councilor, first Southeast Asian, first a Muslim woman on the city council. And then we have Senator Casey Jama in the state Senate. So we're sort of slowly growing a little cohort of Muslim electeds, but um, having been the first one, sort of like a pioneer in the area, I don't take that lightly. I try to learn from others and also project to my community um, and, and make sure that more of us run, regardless of the political atmosphere, regardless of what's happening, we need to need to be represented regardless. We should have been in the fabric of the political system and civic system for many years, but our first-generation families, as you probably know, um, came in with the intention of working and making a living and hopefully helping family back home. Never intended to be part of the fabric of the system. 
never were civically engaged, or they had distrust from their respective countries that they never really bothered to be part of the process. And so we're trying to change the narrative and the, and the fact that we are now second, third generations um, that need to be part of the, the mainstream system. So um, you are appointed as a, on the board of trustees. What kind of work, why was that an important thing for you to be part of? What kind of work would you be doing? And I know you have an interesting reason about why that was important sure. for you. Yeah, so well, I was appointed to replace, again, that that resigned chair, but then mm -hmm. I was elected. I had to be on the ballot immediately after that, and I was elected in a, in a special election with other positions. And higher education has always been important to me. It's a way for me, it was a way for me to better myself and to, uh, you know, enhance my life and well-being. And community colleges are always uh, a bipartisan, nonpartisan issue, which I love. We go to D.C. to advocate and lobby, and both across the aisle, we get support because everyone understands that community colleges are a good stepping stone into middle and, high, and middle class and beyond. It's a way to uh, better educate our uh, youth, our returning adults, our immigrant families, refugees. It's just one of those community-based organizations that is supported by everyone. And the community here that we serve loves our community college. We get support from across the spectrum of electeds, donors. Uh, you know, we were, we're getting ready to pass a $485 million bond campaign that I'm chairing. And we pass every bond before that because people understand the importance of higher education, the importance of community college, and the importance of uh, you know just having access to equitable education to the entire community. And that's the work I'm doing right now. Is is our our core belief is to provide equitable uh, access to affordable education to every member of the community, um, and then hopefully hopefully allowing that to be an engine into uh, social mobility, economic mobility, whatever the case may be. You know, I know for everyone, you know, that's not great language from on my part, uh, but uh, anytime someone runs for office, they seem to have um, some idea in their head that they are telling their voters, I'm going to do these things. And then you're like, well, that's not what that office does. Or I don't know if you know the limits of your office. And I, I know that from my own experience running where people said, don't make X, Y, Z promise because you might not be able to fulfill it. Um mm -hmm. Since you are in office and you obviously you ran after being in office for a little bit, um, what were your expectations about what you could do? Did you have a good sense of, yeah, here's what's in our scope of power and I can't promise to do why because it would take someone else to do it? Sure. And because we are a seven member elected board, we are collective. And so I... I had my one set of promises that I thought I could do and fulfill on my own mm -hmm. and others that I could influence my colleagues on the board to collectively vote for certain things. Things that included you know, lowering tuition for students, um, uh, adding more culturally appropriate programs to students, enhancing our access to students of color and faculty of color, uh, uh, inter um, addressing international student issues within community college. Uh, you know, We worked on creating a uh, Dreamers Resource Center, the first one in the state, which was in response to the, again, the political atmosphere in 2017, 2018. And so all those things were goals of mine individually. And whether or not I could do on my own, I really had a, a goal of influencing or or pre presenting my perspective to my colleagues so that we can have a, a, a vote and hopefully achieve those goals. Thankfully, it's been mostly unanimous in all of our decisions. There's mm -hmm. like a few issues that we ran into last year, me being the chair uh, in regards to COVID and the reopening of campus and then the vaccine mandate, which we split a little bit. But that was uh, something that I took seriously because of my public health background professionally, and I used that to influence my vote and inform my colleagues. And so I, I made it a point to use 
my influence and my, my experience as I could individually. But again, the main goal is that we are a collective board and we need to decide as a group when we vote for policies or, you know, including the budget. Our budget at PCC is $1.5 billion by biennium. That's a huge budget for a local community college. And so me being the chair, I sign off on those budgets and I keep that in mind as my signature's on there. Therefore, I'm held responsible. So I need to be more scrutinizing of the budget and line by line and working with the finance team and the college administration. And uh, and th again, that's a collective vote. However, it's my signature on the paper at the end of the day. So mm -hmm. I, I don't promise too many things, but I always say, you know, we'll look at it as a board and hopefully we'll get to that goal um, as, a, as a board. You know, you talk about public health and education and it's cr obviously created a lot of consternation and a lot of anger. Uh, and actually, you know, not just one, one side of the aisle, people frustrated for a lot of reasons. Um, and some of it fairly, some of it out of people's control. Um, but I think one thing I've learned is that people who work in public health or have opinions on it, you have to base that against the political will to an extent, right? Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we had the absolute, if everyone had to do the best macro scale public health things, yeah, it might work, but you'd have to get every single person involved to do it. Um, I'm sure it's been frustrating and challenging for you, but have you learned, how have you learned to balance, you know, your ideal for public health and what people are willing to do? That's an excellent question, which is, which we actually literally addressed verbatim last cycle when my public health hat, I'm a strong believer in vaccines and mandates, mm -hmm. they work, especially in healthcare and the community. We want those to be the ways forward. Being the board chair at a community college, I voted against the vaccine mandate, which was part of our split. Hmm. So I had to balance my personal and professional understanding of public health versus the actual practical impact on our community college community, which we learned from data that the communities of color and underrepresented communities were impacted differently than the larger community. Therefore, a mandate in this scenario, in this context, wasn't the best approach. Our approach was to reinforce more vaccinations, open up more vaccine clinics, reinforce masking and distancing and education and not create a mandate which will uh, isolate and ostracize certain students and um, and create barriers for their educational experience and it was a really tough decision we debated it for two or three months and ended up with a final vote of four to th uh, three and it passed as not having a mandate and it was scrutinized by everyone the media was involved public testimonies it was a, a, a an ordeal for sure but I was also called out as the board chair. Why are you voting against this when you are yourself a public health professional? How can you call yourself a public health professional when you're voting against this mandate that can save lives? And so I had to weigh data that was given to us for our communities that we're serving versus the data that I understand it to be true for the larger community, which is predominantly uh, white culture. And so it's, 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 it was hard, but you know, now that we're seeing the aftermath of it, I'm glad that we made that decision still. Do you think after all we've seen, and, you know, in, in our ideal world, everyone would have gotten the vaccine in January of 2021. They would have gotten mm -hmm. the third dose as soon as it was available. And, like, and we would just be living life as we could. But obviously, that's that wasn't the case pretty quickly. I, I got mine as soon as I could. Got my kids vaccinated as soon as they could. We were eligible, like, that week that it was fine for kids. Um, but so do you think that some of the very strong-arming messaging maybe put people off and kind of advisory roles may make it easier for people to be be comfortable with everything whether they're doing it or not 
Yes, um, absolutely. I think the mis-messaging, the misinformation that we faced really did a disservice to the effort. Mm-hmm. Public health has been known for years. There's no secret or mystery on public health in addressing disease and pandemic and viruses. The problem, in my opinion, is that this came at a, a transitional political, you know, uh, political transitions, if you will. And so you have politics injected to this when it should have been, never been injected to begin with. Mm-hmm. When you have a certain element of the population not trusting the person giving you the information, it creates a ripple effect that no matter what you do to correct it, it doesn't work, and especially if their assessment was incorrect. Because in an ideal world, we can make mistakes in public health. We just keep correcting until we get to the right answer, which is how it, science works, basically. But when it comes from a person's already politically polarizing, then it reinforces that opinion or that belief that this is a misinformation I'm hearing from one side or the other. And it didn't help our efforts to uh, address the, the virus when it first happened. It didn't help that we had these racial tensions also because of where the virus was supposedly originating. It didn't help that we transitioned political parties. And mm-hmm. it didn't help that you know some of the vaccine efforts were a little slow to roll out to certain communities. Plus, on top of that, there's a layer of distrust from the system to begin with from a lot of underrepresented communities across the country. And so it was just a unique situation, a perfect storm for public health to not show its best side. And it was political. And But you're right, to your point, ideally, like anything we see, we face, we are told by the experts and scientists, this is how to address this. We listen, we move forward, we, we get past it. It wasn't the case this time because of all these factors I just mentioned. Yeah, though on the other hand, science says that I shouldn't get ice cream for dinner, but I'm going to go get ice cream for dinner tonight because there's a <laughs> yeah, fundraiser. Yeah, yeah, but that, that's what you do. Your passion and your brain tells you you should eat ice cream, not science. But <laughs> uh, So, yeah. and and just for the record, I'm doing it tonight because there's a fundraiser for a special cause, so that's my uh, rationale there. But, you know, you, one thing I thought was important that you brought up earlier was doom scrolling, which I do, I, mean, I try not to do, but I see it, and it's just, I am, I try not to be miserable, but so many people online as you have indicated, are miserable. It is like feed mm-hmm. off of it. Um, mm-hmm. But do you think that actually being involved, whether you're in local office, especially a less partisan quote unquote office like yours, um, do you think that helps with uh, that mental aspect of the doom that's out there? Cause you can kind of see a hopeful reaction to what you can get done. Yeah. I mean, I, I two areas help me separate from that doom scrolling with that, that despair feeling is, my inner circle, my, my bubble, my, my circle of influence where I can see things are going normally and beautifully around me, whether it's my work environment, my volunteering environment, my family, my friends, my colleagues. And, and, and you see it to be contradictory to what you're seeing on Twitter, right? Not everyone's talking about a specific issue in life, but they are on Twitter. And so you equate that with what's happening in the world. And then the second thing, like you said, when you talk about nonpartisan or less partisan issues with folks, it completely diffuses that sentiment of I hate what your politics stands for and I can't stand you. Mm-hmm. But when we start talking about something that we both agree on or in a collective, it is so amazing to see that we are actually humans. We can interact you know, uh, professionally and collegially and, and just move forward. But then once you separate that and you get into the online presence or the communities, plus the news cycles, plus just the different narratives pulling at each other, you, you think that's what the world is going through and really it isn't. And, and you have to like, if you have to disconnect once in a while, I, I started backpacking a lot recently because of that. And you unplug and I'm mm-hmm. gone for two or three days out in the wilderness, no social media, no phones. And you come back and the world didn't fall apart. But then you, the minute you pick up your, your device and your phone and you get on Twitter, it feels like, you know, there's an alien invasion somewhere. So I, I but we can't help it to your point. I have to be on Twitter. I have to see what's happening in the world. 
what I need to do, what we only do is maybe expand our um, our sources and not have this echo chamber that on one end you think everything is just going my way or everything is you know highlighting one issue or two issues versus the other positive issues that are also happening in the world and I don't know how to get away from that and so <laughs> yeah I, I agree but I've talked with now many people especially lately um, I talked with Senator Dallas Harris who you know from Nevada mm-hmm. uh, and I was talking to her about having both her experience and Christine Marsh a state senator from Arizona who is a runner by hobby. She likes to run. And just how important that uh, having something, like you said, camping, decompressing and getting away from things, I think is important for all of us who are uh, involved in politics, because otherwise you're just going to destroy your mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's important to have that, that time away from all these things, but also, um, to your point, just connecting with, with your immediate circle of friends and colleagues and kids and family, just to see that the reality that we live in is not the reality that's in social media. Yeah. And if you decide, if you try and, and stay away from social media for a week or two or three, you'll see that you'll see that, uh, the, the result of that is a positive result for sure. So speaking of positive results, you're in office and you, you have indicated many positive things you've done. Um, when I look at how we evaluate elected officials, um, so often at times it's what they voted on, but also, like the phrase, like, did they bring home the bacon? Did they do something? I don't know why there's bacon involved, but just, you know, did they bring home project projects home or did they, um, did they pass some sort of massive thing? You're in office. How would you consider yourself a success? Like what, what can you, when you're looking back on, if you're doing your own job evaluation would make you feel like, yes, my role here is successful. Um, good question. For me, I look at the goals that we set out for my current, my specific position as it relates to community colleges and specifically the Portland Community College, mm-hmm. but also me individually as an elected. What I what have I done to feel like I've succeeded in my role? Individually, I feel like I've done a lot of my part in, in supporting others who are running for advocating for uh, certain policies around social justice, uh, racial justice, environmental justice. Um, you know, just uh, pre- presenting platforms for folks who haven't had a voice in the past. And I use that based on my position and I get invited to, plat- to, to functions, to events, to kickoffs, and use that constantly to, to, to project those things. So I feel like I've done a great job with that, and my colleagues can attest to that. I just, last night, I spoke to the Democratic Party of our county about the Muslim community and how the county uh, party or the, the party can help support our community and their needs. So I did that as I was um, in the middle of another event that I was doing for community college for PCC, where we were celebrating 10 years of a program called Future Connect, which connects low income and underrepresented students in high school with coaches to help them with college with an 85 to 90% graduation rate. And we've served 3,600 students in the last 10 years, half of them over the last five years that I've been on the board. So then back to the board goals, I think based on where I, where I was when I started and now, you know, we've done a great deal of, of, of improving our, our, our vision for the college, our, our bond campaigns have been passing, and I feel that's success collectively as a board, including my vote and my decision. Uh, we just hired a brand new college president to replace a retiring one. That's a success in our book. Uh, and we are getting ready for the third bond campaign during my tenure. Um, uh, of course, the, the Dreamer Resource Center, um, you know, this, the equitable access to certain programs or enhancing access to certain programs, all those are practical things that I can say uh, were due to our votes, including mine. And so I, I, I will definitely take, uh, 
you know, pat myself on the shoulder for those, not individually, but collectively. So, and I think, again, colleagues that are involved or other colleagues in different positions can attest to those things. So it's not like me just saying that. I've been told that and I've been informed that our board has done a lot in the past five years. And I'm proud to say that we, we definitely meant all those things and intentionality was always a key and, and you know, using the equity lens was always a part of every decision that we made. So that's a success in itself to be able to be using equity lenses in every decision you make and creating that atmosphere of uh, inclusion. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, as an individual, like a, it's not a state city councilor or a state senator, I can't claim to have presented or proposed one policy, uh, one bill, and then saw it through. I can't say that, but as a board, as a college, I think we've met most of our goals and that's collectively through our work. Yeah. And I think that's one of the cool things about, you know, the being involved, especially, I don't want to say local government, because I don't know if that counts as local government, but being involved in less partisan government, like where you're functionally doing things. And I, I don't mean that in any sort of derogatory way towards Congress or state legislatures, mm-hmm. but you can pass things where maybe the public doesn't know, doesn't yep. recognize at all, but you know yourself at the end of the day, you can sleep well at night. You can, if you're writing your own resume or testimony to yourself, if you it, that's a reason to run for office, right? Because you can feel good about what you're able to put out in the world. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I heard the phrase a long time ago, but I, I believe in that more so now than ever, which is all politics is local. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. I, use, I see all my colleagues within Metro or city council or the county commission, uh, state and uh, uh, the state side, just um, churning out amazing policies and, and bills and laws that are meaningful to our communities. And you see them in action, you know, whether it's tobacco law, or uh, a transportation-related law. To your point, I see that more so here locally than I see what's happening in Congress. And in Congress, it feels like it's just this machine that's not operating right now. It's just obsolete and waiting for somebody to either oil this gear or, or push that lever, and just nothing is moving forward. And especially with you know recently with the tragedies for in schools, gun shootings, um, uh, gun-related deaths. I mean, that's that's something that Congress can easily address and fix, but it's a uh, gridlock right now and we all know why and we all are watching it and and if that was a local issue i i see that would be something that could easily be addressed uh, with the different uh, institutions that are involved uh, and you can actually have that meaningful connection with people to address that issue and help guide and form a policy or a bill or a law versus congress where you know you can only call your congressman so much and if they are not intentional about their decisions and who their influencers are you will not get to them so yeah, I, and I think you know, whether it's gun issues or so many other things, rightly or wrongly, it takes it's Congress can't move that fast. Rarely moves fast, and whereas local or uh, board of trustees or other things, you can move much more quickly. Maybe not to do something as grandiose or national, but you can do things that can make an impact relatively quickly. Yeah, and you see the results faster, which makes you more motivated to be engaged more and to advocate more. And, you know, hopefully things trickle up instead of trickling down. And so mm-hmm. and a lot of folks who do great work on the local level end up jumping onto a higher seat. And hopefully they can take some of that momentum with them and some of that energy with them and influence the current uh, body. And hopefully with time, you get to a point where most of the local young electeds are, you know, escalating up to the higher seats to help influence things. Now, one thing I did want to ask before I finish here is, um, like I said, Board of Trustees is not an office that people are often thinking of for mm-hmm. when they vote or when they decide to run for office or any of those things. Uh, I, and we, people talk about low voter, voter turnout, though I think in Oregon, t- voter turnout is much higher than some other states. 
Um, is it hard to get people to pay attention to these races and what you're doing? Or is your community engaged enough that, you know, you have them voting and participating? It is difficult. Like most, I think like most states, you know, you have a special election or the primary versus the general election. If it's not a presidential race, people don't pay attention. Mm-hmm. And my race was during May uh, 2017. You know, I, I had about 15,000 votes from 100,000 constituents. You know, we had a major primary race just not too long ago, and the turnout wasn't as good as we thought, maybe 20, 30% most, maybe 25%, which is not very good. But then November comes around, there's either a midterm election or the presidential election. People actually engage and motivated. With Trump, it was a special. Um, it was a little bit special because even the primaries and the and the different elections after Trump were even more engaging than the past ever. Uh, obviously, it's you know that momentum was built and and people of all backgrounds and ages and experiences ran for something. And I mean, this is the podcast run for something, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it, we had people that I mean, now thankfully when I look at the ballots or the campaigns. 70-80% of people running for anything are colleagues and friends of mine that I've met in the last five years, which is great. I never had that experience in my life or I didn't know a single person on a on a yard sign or on a, a billboard or on a and now it's like, oh yeah, you know, Joe's running or Mike's running or Sarah or or mm-hmm. Nadia, you know, you just, you just know them by name and that's just a testament to the political momentum that's happening but it's not addressing turnout yet and so we're working on addressing that as a, as a community you know we're doing digital campaigns we're doing canvassing we're doing literature drop we're you know holding forums and social media has been a great asset for a lot of our young and, and up, up and coming um, campaigners and candidates to engage the community and so we're working on that as a state but yeah i mean oregon has advantage of the mail-in ballots which is amazing i think or drop drop in it's, it's been one of the best things oregon has for the past 20 30 years and i think that's something that every state should have and it's been going great well, you should tell that to the Republican running here in Pennsylvania, where they want to like disqualify every ballot, which is terrible. I I don't understand. It's I mean, it's happening with the military and overseas voters. It's like what, and you know, we're doing it in Oregon, doing it effectively, and both sides of the aisle are doing it. You know, why can't our Republicans in Oregon advocate that to the other Republicans in different states? I don't know. Yeah, I you got me. But um, what you're saying does remind me of one other thing I want to bring up is that um, when you're an adult, it's harder to make friends a lot of the time. Like. Yeah. If you're a kid, my kid, I have two young kids and they have, you know, they're friends with everyone in their class, right? Because that's what kids are when they're in kindergarten or second grade. And uh, when you're an adult, you're too busy with work and whatnot. But politics, as you've just indicated, is a great way to make and maintain lasting friends and relationships. A hundred percent. I have made some, I would believe, lifelong friendships through my political work. We have a handful of us that ran together during May of 2017 directly post-Trump election, um, and those are great circles of friends, and, and and since then, multiple circles of friends, and, you know, I can I can name 10 people at any given time that are I would consider close friends who I met through campaigning or through running, different offices, not even the same arena. I'm the only school board person in this group, for example, but we have city council, we have metro, we have county, we have parks. I never knew anything about parks until I met my colleagues who are now on the parks boards, mm-hmm. and so I'm engaged in their campaigns and their efforts and their projects, and so... Yeah, I mean, I think we're all now lifelong friends and, um, you know, public service bonds us together. Great. Well, if people want to become your friend and learn more about public service, what's the best way that people can connect with you online and maybe learn more? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. My last name, Ali Ajuri, on Twitter uh, and then Instagram. Just look up Muhammad Ali Ajuri. So I, I 
And then Facebook, I have my public Facebook page is Muhammad Al-Yajuri, PCC, Portland Community College, you'll find me. Um, it's, it's the best way I can think of right now. Well, those are all good ways. It's all I need to know. So I appreciate everyone. If you are considering running for office or want to learn about some of these other positions and why being involved matters, please get in touch with Muhammad Al-Yajuri and uh, you will hopefully be inspired and maybe you'll run for office too. Uh, thank you so much, Muhammad. I think I will leave this conversation feeling a little bit better than I did before I started. My pleasure. I appreciate it, Tony. Great to meet you, and thanks for having me, and happy to connect with anyone who wants it. So thank you for, for saying that. It's wonderful, and uh, okay. together let's make everything better. Absolutely.